Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. For being one of the most famous women in history, the real Cleopatra, who lived from the years 69 to 30 BCE, is shrouded in mystery. She ruled Egypt for 22 of those years, commanded riches unrivaled in the ancient world, and bore children to two of the most powerful men in Rome. Yet the stories of her passed down over the centuries, Cleopatra as the cunning, wanton seductress, were mostly propaganda written by her enemies. For the article this episode is based on, How Stuff Works spoke with Prudence Jones, a history professor at Montclair State University and author of Cleopatra, a source book. So today, let's do some myth-busting. First off, Cleopatra was not Egyptian. She was the last in a long line of Macedonian Greek kings and queens who ruled Egypt, starting with the conquest of Alexander the Great in 332 BCE. After Alexander's death, his general Ptolemy I was installed as the king of Egypt, which he ruled as a Greek from the Hellenistic capital of Alexandria. Cleopatra, born over 250 years later, was a daughter of Ptolemy VII. 
The identity of Cleopatra's mother is unknown, though it's thought to have been Cleopatra V, who was Ptolemy VII's wife and also his sister or half-sister, as was common among Egyptian royalty at the time. Although Cleopatra was not ethnically Egyptian, she made explicit overtures to Egyptian religion and culture, such as identifying herself with the goddess Isis. She was also the first queen in the centuries-long dynasty to bother to learn how to speak Egyptian. Jones said the rest weren't very motivated. Indeed, Cleopatra wowed with brains and charm, not just beauty. The Roman enemies of Egypt sought to denigrate Cleopatra by painting her as a harlot queen who bewitched great men like Julius Caesar and Mark Antony with her physical beauty alone. But even the Roman historian Plutarch, writing a century after Cleopatra's death, reported that there was much more to Cleopatra than her looks. He said, To converse with her had an irresistible charm, and her presence, combined with the persuasiveness of her discourse and the character which was somehow diffused about her behavior towards others, had something stimulating about it. There was a sweetness also in the tones of her voice, and her tongue, like an instrument of many strings, she could readily turn to whatever language she pleased, so that she very seldom had need of an interpreter. In addition to speaking Greek and Egyptian, Cleopatra was fluent in at least six other languages. A highly educated woman, she published two known texts, one on the care of the body and the other on weights and measures for medicine and trade. Compared with the military-minded Antony, who was, Jones said, not known for being the sharpest tack in the box, Cleopatra was famous for her intellect. Along those lines, her love affair with Caesar was a strategic alliance. Cleopatra was not the lascivious fury described by some Roman poets, ruled only by her promiscuous passions. She had only two romantic partners in her short 39-year life, and both relationships were political as well as personal, according to Jones. When Cleopatra took the Egyptian throne at 18, she inherited a kingdom in decline. Rome was the ascendant power in the Mediterranean, and Egypt's independence was under threat. And to make matters worse, her younger brother and co-ruler, and husband, it's complicated, uh, was trying to push her out. When Julius Caesar came to Egypt in pursuit of his rival Pompey, Cleopatra saw an opportunity to win a powerful Roman ally. Alluding to Plutarch's famous account, a middle-aged Caesar first laid eyes on Cleopatra when she smuggled himself into his quarters and tumbled out of a carpet, or more likely a basket of laundry. The young Cleopatra won Caesar's affections, took back the throne, and sealed the alliance with the birth of a son, whom she not so subtly named Caesarion, meaning little Caesar. She now had family ties to Rome. Cleopatra's later relationship with Mark Antony, who was second in command to Caesar, was immortalized by Shakespeare in the play Antony and Cleopatra as one of the most legendary and tragic love affairs in history. But it, too, primarily served a political purpose. Egypt may have enjoyed great wealth and resources, but after Caesar's assassination, Cleopatra knew that her kingdom was still at the whim of Rome, the reigning superpower. Jones explained, Cleopatra was well aware that in order for Egypt to remain independent at all, 
it needed a powerful protector. Caesar's death had left a power vacuum in Rome, and two prominent men, uh, Octavian being Caesar's chosen heir and nephew, and Antony, the ambitious politician and general, were fighting a civil war to fill it. Octavian had the financial backing of the Senate, but Antony desperately needed money to pay his troops. Once again, Cleopatra saw an in. She was the richest woman in the world. In exchange for her financial support, Antony became Egypt's ally and defender against Roman encroachment. And he and Cleopatra, who eventually married, had three more heirs. This brings us to one last myth, though. The double suicide of Antony and Cleopatra, as recorded by Plutarch, provided a suitably tragic ending to Shakespeare's play. But although it was based on true events, it probably didn't go down exactly as Shakespeare wrote it. In the play, Antony, falsely believing Cleopatra to be dead after a failed sea battle against Octavian, falls on his own sword and eventually dies in her arms from the wound. Cleopatra, not willing to be paraded in the streets of Rome as a prisoner of war, has a poisonous snake smuggled into her quarters. In the final scene of the play, she hugs the snake to her breast. Plutarch's version is a bit different, but even he admitted that there were various accounts of Cleopatra's death, and that, quote, the truth of the matter no one knows, for it was also said that she carried about poison in a hollow comb and kept the comb hidden in her hair. Modern scholars say that poison would have been a much simpler and faster way to go, but that Cleopatra likely included the more dramatic snake story in her suicide note. After Cleopatra's death, Egypt became a province of the Roman Empire. And the rest, as they say, is history. Today's episode is based on the article, Five Things Everyone Gets Wrong About Cleopatra, on HowStuffWorks.com, written by Dave Roos. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.